Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on today's show, more turbulence with E3 announcements. Nintendo dropped a meaty Zelda trailer and we were at PAX East and have a lot to say about it. everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am Andrea Renee, joined by the lovely Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena. What's good, Andrea? What's good, Rie? And Brittany Brombacher is here too. I like the way you said meaty earlier. <laughs> I mean, that Oops. was meaty. What, is it like 13 minutes long? Yeah, long? gameplay and other shit. Yeah. It was very meaty. It was like a mini direct just for Zelda, but not. (laughs) But not, but close. We're going to talk about that in just a minute because y'all know Brittany has thoughts <laughs> to, say, Never. to say about it. But we're excited about this episode. It's a little bit of a special episode in the sense that we have a fantastic interview with the one and only Mary Kenny, a senior writer at Insomnia Games, talking about her work in video games narrative and her new book, which we'll talk about later on in the show. So please stick around for that. And of course, we're going to be recapping what we saw at PAX East, which just happened over the weekend. And then on top of that, we were like, ah, it's got to be a slow news week, right? <laughs> just GDC just happened, PAX just happened. Oh, but boy. no, the world of video games is not to sit on their laurels. So we will get to the news in just a second. But I want to say thank you to everybody who took the time to come and see our panel at PAX. It was so good to see people in person. And also everybody who came to the meetup. Did y'all have fun in Boston? Yeah, it was a lot of fun and not as cold as I thought it would be because the last PAX East we went to was under snow and this was much more enjoyable weather-wise. So I had a great time. Yeah, I kind of forgot how invigorating it is to see people in person, especially at a big convention like PAX East, which eventually sold out all of their passes, which I have to admit, I was rather surprised, pleasantly surprised, happy for them going through bad self. But it was really nice. You kind of like come home and you're in that post-con funk of you're like, oh, I'm so used to being around all this energy. And then you're at home and it's silent except for your baby crying. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sweet, sweet sound that you missed. Well, TakeThis.org has a lovely article about the post-con crash if anybody wants to go check that out. It's Ooh, real. that's some very good pro tips to drop. I did not realize that they had some tips about how to deal with that. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mostly just try to sleep and then fail, as per (laughs) usual. Mom, live, am I right, everybody? So before we jump into the regular show, I want to let everybody know that What's Good Games is going to be taking a little break. But fear not, friends. We will not be not putting up content. That's a lot of knots that are just uh, too many negatives. We will still have your regularly scheduled episode every Friday while we're on a little mini break. We actually have some really fun pieces of content planned. We have a special preview for a game coming out 
next week. And then the week after that, we've got a fantastic interview with the one and only Sean Benson from Sony Interactive Entertainment. And then we're talking about our top five of the last five. That's right. Our top five video games of the last five years. It's a really fun episode. So hopefully you guys join us for all of those. And in the meanwhile, if we are a little quiet on our social accounts, now you know why. Just taking a tiny little break to recharge before the wackiness that's going to happen in May and June. Thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. And welcome to our Patreon community, Mikey! <laughs> Kobe Paddock, Hannah Stewart, the Sekiro guy. Is that Alex? Alex, is that you? I assume it's you. And Nate. And Brittany, it looks like we have a bunch of new reviewers, and I've read some really kind reviews. Oh, I know. They just really, like I said, give you a big old fat ego boost, and they were so, so lovely. So we have Boy Racer 321 Noah Gagan, Cloudy Atlas 22, JPay0506, and Tired Tray of This Bull, Reels for Reels, and Hypnagogia92, who actually had some great <laughs> feedback. And their feedback was that we should mention the title of the game that we're talking about in our hands on section more often mm-hmm. because sometimes the title might get missed and then we move on to the next game without saying what the game was. And then they're like, ah, oh, crap, what were they playing? And they don't know. So we will take that feedback to heart and maybe actually practice that. In this week's hand-on section because we have a lot of games to talk about from PAX. Yes, played all of the things. And this week's episode is brought to you by Shopify, BetterHelp, and Dave. But we'll tell you more about that later. Let's talk about the E3 drama. The latest drama, I should probably say, because... Wow, it feels like every other week there's a news story or rumor happening about E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo put on every June by the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association. And this one is kind of a downer. And it's looking not so great for what's happening with E3. So there's been some rumors swirling that publishers aren't going to be showing up to E3. We've heard from the big platforms, Xbox, Nintendo, and PlayStation all say, we're not going to be at E3, though Xbox did confirm their Xbox and Bethesda showcase is going to be happening on Sunday, June the 11th. 11th. Dates, everybody. So we know that Xbox is going to have a presence around between Summer Game Fest and E3 doing their own thing. And we formally heard that Ubisoft was going to be attending E3 per their earnings call where Yves told us, the CEO, of course, of Ubisoft, that they would be part of it. <laughs> Turns out maybe he spoke a little too soon because they changed their mind, everybody. According to an article over at IGN, not only is Ubisoft not joining E3, instead they're doing a Ubisoft forward live event the Monday after, June 12th, there's also concerns that Sega and even more publishers are going to be backing out because they've learned that Sega and Tencent have announced that they, well, haven't announced, IGN has learned, I should say, that they're going to be skipping E3 as well. And by the time this podcast airs, in between when we record the show and publish the show, who knows (laughs) what other announcements for E3 are going to happen. Ladies, what do you think about these rumors? Are you concerned? Or are you like, nah, but there's still plenty of games in, in the sea? It's very sad. So Sega did confirm with IGN that they are skipping. I think Tencent did say something else, and I don't remember what. I can't keep track. They have a whole bunch of statements. Anyway, it's such a bummer, and I don't think anyone wants to see E3 go away. I think we all love E3, not only just for the excitement and the hype, and it's so cool that the entire industry gets together for like this, well, now it feels like it's stretching out much longer than one week. 
and just the people getting together, the community now that the public is invited and the exciting deals that go on behind closed doors and the cool announcements that happen. And, you know, I love our eight ball episode we do every year. We get to predict everything. And the thought of that potentially going away or being changed because of the way the industry is heading when it comes to these physical events it just makes me really sad and I'm bummed about it. And I want to see E3 continue to thrive. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons. The IGN article is a really great one. And there are a lot of reasons in there why they list that this could be happening. Obviously, there's the COVID-19 pandemic, which we're all very familiar with, which really screwed up a lot of people's productions and all that. And then there's the budget. So, you know, when the pandemic was happening, a lot of event teams got cut and budgets haven't been replenished to their pre-2020 capacities quite yet. So even if people wanted to go, it sounds like the budget is not only not there, but with the rumblings of E3, it sounds like they would rather put their eggs in a different basket, like maybe packs, like something that you know for sure is going to stick around. So anyway, I'm very sad about this and I don't want to see E3 go away, but I think we'd all be fooling ourselves if we pretended like there isn't going to be a major shift happening in one way or another in the future. And I don't think it's going to go back to the way it was. <laughs> I always yeah. go back to the case that I make for, as you mentioned, like the behind closed doors meetings, the things that help the business move forward, like talking to shareholders or other publishers, or it's the industry conference part of E3 that is so, so vital and that cannot happen virtually. Like it has to have everybody in the same place at the same time in order to really work. And I wonder if E3 is not that place, then what is it going to be? And that's the piece that I really hope we don't lose because it's truly necessary for like the heart of this industry to keep beating is like these conversations need to take place. These passing in the hallway moments need to happen. And where else can that go down? At E3, I don't know, GDC or PAX. I mean, you're right. So E3 has always historically been a business show. And I think them transitioning it to a more consumer-focused show is maybe why we've seen this downturn in publishers looking at it as an event of importance because they're like, hey, we have all these other opportunities throughout the year to engage with our consumers. And if we do it on our own terms, then we get to kind of dictate how we're engaging with our consumers instead of being locked to a certain set of parameters that conventions always have. So I think that what I said before holds true. And it's a combination of what we mentioned about budgets, people not having budgets. And also this idea that people in the tech and gaming industry are faced with hard choices of, hey, you know, we might be going into some economic uncertainty. We've seen, you know, several major companies post big layoffs. Does it make sense for us to spend money taking staff and going to a show and building a booth when we have to like make people lose their jobs? Clearly, some companies aren't okay with that. And then on top of that, what I've said before in the show that some companies just aren't ready to show stuff in the same way that they were that they're still playing catch up from the pandemic. And we don't know how long that's going to take until we get back to normal from a workflow standpoint. And like you guys have said, is E3 as it used to be even a thing that can happen anymore? And with each passing week, I'm starting to think that maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe those glory days of E3 are over. And not to say that E3 can't come back and like rise like a phoenix and become something different and wonderful in its own right. But I think E3, as we know it, might be permanently changed. But yeah, so IGN reached out to a bunch of publishers to 
asked if they could confirm their attendance. And there was several that did not respond in time for publication. I also do want to give a shout out to Rebecca Valentine. This is her story. She did all the work on it. And please do go to IGN.com and give her those much deserved clicks if you guys want to read the whole story. So EA, but EA, we already know, has not been part of E3 for quite some time. Square Enix, which is a big part of E3, and they always have a major booth presence and usually a showcase or press conference. So I'm very interested to see what they're going to be doing. Embracer Group, which has bought a lot of video game companies over the last couple of years and would make sense that they would be at E3. Activision Blizzard hasn't really been showing much at E3 for the last couple of years either. Wouldn't be surprised if they said no. Epic Games has kind of had a weird history with E3, particularly with Fortnite. Like they've done their big Fortnite party royale, Mm -hmm. but they haven't really had a big booth presence on the show floor because live service games don't really need to be at an event like E3. Take-Two is an interesting one because 2K Games usually had a pretty big presence at E3, so I'll be curious to see what they are going to be doing. And then Warner Brothers Games historically had a very big presence on the show floor at E3 as well. And they, you know, have some games to show, but we don't really know a lot about what their fall slate is going to look like. So lots of big publishers still in the mix still could come out and say, yes, we're going to be there. Yes, the show is going to be great. But a lot of question marks as well. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll have another story when we get back from the break about what the heck is going (laughs) on with E3. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Brittany, I feel like now is a wonderful time for me to just pass you the microphone for our other story of the week. Oh, yeah. All right. So Nintendo did us a solid. And yesterday, was it yesterday? They're like, hey, we have 10 minutes of Tears of the Kingdom footage that we're going to show on Tuesday, the butt crack of dawn. I was like, well, that works out perfect because that means we can talk. (laughs) about it on the show. Usually it's the day after. So this also comes from IGN and the title is Zelda Tears of the Kingdom gameplay reveals Link's new abilities, weapon durability, and more. All right. Nintendo has finally shared uninterrupted gameplay of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom ahead of its May release date. So the new footage shows four new abilities for Link, a closer look at the Sky Islands, weapon durabilities returned, and more. So the gameplay kicks off with Link riding on a horse throughout the fields of Hyrule. And then the camera pans up and it shows you a big land mass in the sky, which are now officially known as, guess what? Sky Islands. Okay, uh, uh, can I just put a quick asterisk? It is yeah. Skylands, Nintendo. It's Skylands. <laughs> oh, Come on. It's right there. Right? <laughs> it's Skyland. You, see, you're too good at what you do. Skyland. Right. Skyland. Henceforth, they're not as Skylands. Okay. <laughs> so as Link was riding by a stable, we see a big object fall from the sky. Link climbed to the object and used a new recall ability to rewind an object's movement. Link then rolled the rock into the sky and glided over to the Skyland. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this was like, it was cool. So, you know, it's pretty much as you would expect. A thing fell. Link went over to it. He hopped on it, was able to ride the prior motion of it all the way up. There is a timer on it. So, obviously, like, I don't know how that timer is going to play into gameplay. But if you're on YouTube.com slash What's Good Games, you can watch it right now. He just walks up to it, hits rewind, and then up he goes. Go on with your badass self-link. Gameplay then jumped to a different skyland featuring golden trees and some man-made structures. Link ran into a new enemy type called a construct, which Link fought with a tree branch. The weapon quickly broke, confirming the return of Breath of the Wild's durability system. No, boo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is... Uh, like, here's the thing. Like, 
Why? Like, it it just makes it not fun. It does not add strategy. This is not a survival game. Well, weapons don't need to break. Come on. Listen, girl, I'm with you. I personally do not like the weapon durability because of the game they're playing. They're they're making it make sense. But the more you fucking watch this, the more it does look like it's turning into a survival game. And that is like a thing Mm -hmm. we'll talk about. Listen, I would have kept the weapon durability if that means we would have got rid of the stamina meter. The stamina meter is back and there is a new feature that I'll get into but I have thoughts and feelings about this and we'll talk about it after but my job is to report the news on you right now okay so anyway so the other interesting thing is after Link fought the construct he gets this piece called a Zonai charge and some people are like oh who cares so this is the the <laughs> little robot friend right now the the Zonai Z- no that's the construct so you defeat him you get a Zonai charge um, item that drops and so the Zonai is a tribe of people that existed in Hyrule long before Link Ganon Zelda and all we know about them is that they are a tribe that has sort of just disappeared off the face of the planet. And there's a lot of Zonai architecture. And I'm sure if you've heard me talk about Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom on here, you've heard me mention Zonai before. They knew what they were doing when they showed us that, all but pretty much confirms that, yes, like the Zonai is going to play a role in this. What sort of role? We don't know. But Zelda lore is really weird and confusing, and it doesn't make a lot of sense most of the time. So who knows if we'll ever truly get our answer. I'm hoping we will. But that was just a fun little like, holy shit, what, there what, it is. What's happening here, but he picked up a rock with a tree branch. What the, what, what's going down? You, my dear, are looking at the fuse mechanic. So this is the fuse ability. And essentially what it lets you do is it works on two weapons. So in this instance, he has a stick and the stick's durability is bitch. It's really bad. And if you're like, well, this stick really sucks. I don't want to go after a whole bunch of enemies with this. I'm going to fuse it with a rock. And here comes some of the crafting and survival mechanics I was talking about. You can fuse, I don't know how many items together, but you can fuse a stick and a rock together. You can fuse a stick and a farmer's pitchfork together, which creates this ridiculously long weapon. If you're on YouTube again, he's going to do it right here. So he has a very long stick. He's like, cool, this isn't good enough. I'm going to fuse this pitchfork to it. And now look how long that bitch is. Look how long that thing is. Isn't that just ridiculous? Ridiculous on his back. I know. (laughs) But it's so good because that means you can stabby stab from a distance and not get hit. Yep, you got it. You can also fuse like a log with a stick and now he'll have like a rolling pin. It's a really interesting little thing. Okay, so this other thing we're looking at right now is fusing materials to arrows. And this lets you create elemental arrows. So right now he's attaching some, I think it's choo-choo jelly to it. He's going to attach it to his arrow and then he's going to shoot the arrow and it's going to freeze the enemy. That's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is you can attach an eyeball to your arrow and that is going to create homing arrows, which is actually like, okay, like that's pretty freaking cool. And he's going to do it right here. And there's also other things you can attach to it. One of the options was a slab of raw meat and I'm very curious to know what in the world that's going to do if you shoot that at an enemy. I kind of hope like I... Is it like bait? Like a distraction maybe? Maybe you could... Yeah, maybe you could shoot it away from the enemy and it acts as a distraction. I just hope there's a really wet, sloppy, slushy sound when it like smacks an enemy like a... a, Almost a squelch, if you will. (laughs) I will be really disappointed if that doesn't happen. We must have squelching, Nintendo. We we must have squelching in our Zelda games to make up for your durability and your transgressions. There's another scene where he has... And Ryu was telling me about this and we were talking about is what I meant. There's a mushroom attached to his shield. And it is so wonky looking, and it's a, called a puff shroom. And so what, so Eiji Anuma was playing, the producer of Zelda. He was like, yeah, I have a mushroom on my shield. You might be wondering why I have this. And so a puff shroom, attach it to your shield through the fuse system. Enemy attacks you, you block with your shield, and it creates a puff of smoke. So now you can, you know, stealthily or just pretty much not be as visible and attack the enemy in front of you. 
this is a cool mechanic. And the question is, like, how deep does this really go? You know, how different are all the animations and the results going to be from all of this fusing? No one knows, but it does open up the door for some really interesting gameplay. And I think I'm just really curious to see what in the hell people come up with while playing this. Uh, all I can think is this is going to blow the door open for user creativity in the same way that the original Breath of the Wild did. And I color me impressed. Like, I'm going to admit it. I was going into Tears of the Kingdom thinking, oh, this is just going to be more Breath of the Wild, which was great. Like, that game was very, very good. But also, I got, you know, a little bored in some places. And a lot of that world was empty and it was pretty repetitive in a lot of senses. And so I think this gameplay trailer did a lot to convince me that they really put a lot of thought into innovating on the mechanics while still using the same assets and the same world and like the art style of Breath of the Wild. And so I think it could be incredibly exciting to see what players discover with this view system. Dude, yeah. And I mean, on that note here, we're seeing the ultra hand ability. And so what's happening here is there's a large body of water you have to cross. And it's like, how do I do this? Well, there's three logs laying around and Link is able to fuse the three logs together. Cool, now you have like a buoyant raft, but it's not gonna go anywhere. And then nearby, you see these little objects and you hit them with your sword and it activates a fan. And you can put them on your raft in any way you want. And you can now build a propelled raft that will let you go across the river. And then later on, you know, you'll see floating rafts or you can build and this goes that to that creativity. You can build almost anything is what it seems like to me. And I, again, like that's the thing that I love. I love to this day how we're still seeing clips on Twitter of people creating the most weird things to accomplish their goals or whatever they're trying to do. They can build it. And I mean, this just really feels like you were saying earlier, opens up the door and, I, you know, you're going to start seeing this mechanic in more games like guaranteed. This is just literally it's brilliant. I, I'm really excited to see what people can create with this. And the finally, we'll talk about the ascendability, which essentially just lets Link move through ceilings. So if there's a huge like mountain in front of you and you're like, I don't want to climb that bitch, that's going to take too long. But you see that there's a cave that goes inside the mountain. You can scoot your little butt inside the mountain through the cave. You use your ascendability and Link will surprise ascend to the top. So basically anywhere where there's a ceiling, there will be some restrictions, I'm assuming, with certain areas, but you'll be able to skip climbing everything and just go right on up. So that is pretty much like all of the major gameplay that we saw. Like I had to, I had to stop myself because you know y'all know me. You know me. I'm old and curmudgeonly, and I'm set in my ways. What I want to see are towns and dungeons and side quests and characters. Like that's what I want to see out of Zelda. But I mean, considering this was a 13 minute gameplay demo, and we didn't see a lot of that. Obviously, very intentional. Obviously, Nintendo doesn't have to show anything else, and this game is going to just sell so many copies, your brain will explode. So, like, from a gameplay perspective, I think this is pretty brilliant what they're doing. I think the community is going to eat this up. I think we're going to, for years and years and years, see really cool creations of what people are making. I think for me, what's going to get me excited are those things I mentioned before, dungeons, characters, towns, etc. And I don't think we're going to get that until the game actually comes out. So I'm being self-aware. I think this is really smart, but this isn't necessarily like what's going to get me all hot and bothered about a new Zelda game. Yeah, I think that that's fair. That was a big issue a lot of people had with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, the mechanics were really cool and the discovery of the world was really innovative and the, the climbing system where you could virtually climb anything, mm -hmm. anything and everything as long as you had the stamina for it, right? But that was my big gripe is that it just felt like there was mm -hmm. so much of the world that just wasn't 
flushed out, that there was just a lot of emptiness. And then at the very end, they're like, yo, here's this Zelda OLED model, the one that we talked about, I feel like, late last year. And ladies, I told myself I don't need one. I was like, I don't need this. I literally have my white OLED. I love it. It's perfect. It's great. I'm just casually scrolling on Twitter. Wario tweets out a link. Five minutes later, I have one. Oh, girl. I pre-ordered it, too. I I I did. You did? Okay, okay. And I I got the Pro Controller. So, Re, like, what about this? Were you like, oh, my God, I need that? Well, A, it's some of my favorite colors, gold and green. And then also, I only have a Switch Lite, personally. So, Danny has an OLED, but I don't have one. And I would love to go and, you know, finish my Hades runs on a bigger screen. So, I think that's how I'm justifying it to myself. Also, it comes out around my birthday. That's a great reason. I have no reason. I don't even want to go through the hassle (laughs) of transferring my shit over to this. But goddamn, I don't know. I had. Oh, I'm so weak. But it is the one that we. I'm so weak. (laughs) I'm so bad. This is the one that we reported on, like I said, late last year. So that was Mm -hmm. a valid leak, and it happened. And the pro controller is really pretty too. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not gonna get that carrying case because the way I travel with my switch, my switch would be busted, and it looks like one of the thin, like standard ones. I digress. Anyway, yeah, beautiful. It's gorgeous. Great. just really want this game now we only have a few more weeks to go which is absolutely wild oh boy few more oh boy. right like we have we have one two three four five five and a half weeks mm. wow i didn't yeah. realize it was so close yeah girl it real close it's real close so anyway i'm a sucker and i have my switch oled version and i got my new pro controller which i absolutely do not need but you know i just put zelda on it i'm gonna buy it just like pokemon it's okay we all expected that you were gonna buy it anyway i don't think you need to feel bad about I it didn't. it's just it was just an inevitability in my mind well good to know you know me better than i know myself because i was not gonna get it i all i wanted was the controller but anyway that's what happened in today's 13 minute zelda mini direct re-release bougie fest Skylands. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful indeed. Well, we have quite a bit of PAX news to get to, so let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, lots of hands-on with video games. Stick with us. We'll see you in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, to the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast, where we talk about what we've been playing, and we have been playing a lot at PAX East. But first, I want to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by Shopify. Every minute, new sellers around the world are revolutionizing their businesses and making their first sales with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling custom enamel pins or handmade ceramic bowls, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. 
And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. What's incredible to me about Shopify is how their services grow with your business, no matter how far or big you grow. Thanks to an endless list of integrations and third-party apps, anything you can think of from on-demand printing to accounting to chatbots, everything you need to revolutionize your business. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash what's good to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash what's good. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of What's Good Games is also brought to you by BetterHelp. On our show, we always talk about how it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes that means reaching out for help so that you can work on getting back to your best self. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we even react the way we do until we talk through things. And BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Maybe you've talked to a friend about their experience with a therapist, or perhaps you're just interested in learning about positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Getting help can empower you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash what's good games today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash what's good games. Let's talk about PAX East, shall we, Brittany? Yeah, girl. So you and Rihanna got there a day ahead of me because I was in San Francisco working with the fine team at Xbox. And that was really fun. And I will be tweeting about when the video goes live because it's going to be part of the GDC vault, which is exciting. So y'all got to play quite a few things at PAX. So I kind of don't know where to go here. All right. Well, she passed the mic to us. We got to play (laughs) quite a few things together. It was so much fun for you. I had such a great time doing this kind of thing with you. I feel like we haven't had a chance to do it together before. And we did. And you were just lovely. And you smell nice. I think the first game I want to talk about, we talked about at the panel, but Pacific Drive, because that was the first thing that you and I uh, actually did play together. And so the TLDR in this game is that it is being developed and published by Iron Studios. It is coming out in 2023. It's coming to PS5, Steam, and Epic Game Store. And it is described as a run-based first-person survival structured as not a rogue light, but a road 
light. Ha ha, get it? Get the pun. <laughs> I, had that, I thought it was really cute. Boo. Oh, see, Andrew, you're so hard to please. Um, but that's why I like <laughs> the challenge. True. I like the challenge. So this game takes place in a reimagined Pacific Northwest. Specifically, I think it's the Olympic Peninsula, which is, you know, our backyard and Reese hey. from our backyard. And your goal is to venture further into this world across different biomes in what is happening in the Olympic exclusion zone. And each trip into the zone is unique and randomized, thus the road light terminology. And so you want to find out why are things all messed up? And you might be like asking, well, what do you mean things are messed up? Well, friends, as you are driving throughout this exclusion zone, you're going to see blue lightning come across the roads randomly. You're going to see floating rocks and road signs and floating debris. There are weird floating creatures that scared Ree and she didn't like it. She's like, drive, drive. They were terrible. There are weird mannequins. There's radiation goo everywhere. These epic storms, I don't know if they're called anomalies or what they're called, but these major storms are coming like where the whole sky just turns red and orange and just wind and lightning and weird stuff is going on. It's not natural. And so your goal, again, is to get to the heart of this and figure out what is happening. Well, you might think that sounds really dangerous. And it is. That's why you have your station wagon. (laughs) And you go into the exclusion zone in these runs to find items to upgrade your station wagon. But the problem is, you know, you venture out and it's like, well, crap, you only have a certain amount of time before the storm comes in and wipes you out. And so while you're there, you're collecting items, but you also have to collect three what are called anchors that will warp you back to your garage, which is your home base, which is where you'll do all of your upgrades and whatnot. So it's a really interesting and unique idea. And the first time Rhea and I played it, I was playing and she was she was helping me with her invaluable advice. I fucked around and I found out. And we, <laughs> we were going off the road. We were getting out of our car. We ran into rocks. We stopped by random houses and tried to salvage stuff. And we died miserably. The second mm-hmm. time, I actually tried to find the anchors. And Rhea was helpful. So Rhea, what did you think about this game? I've described it. But when you're actually seeing it in motion... What did you think? Seeing it in motion, it's definitely a kind of a hybrid game where part of it is automobile maintenance fantasy. It's very much parsed down, right? You're not actually pulling out the correct tools and like cranking anything in the under the hood, but you're salvaging parts, you're making new doors, new engine, stuff like that, and then maintaining the the car and trying to fix all of the damage you did on the past run. (laughs) And then it's also part, like they said, road light, where you're trying to get as far as you can without completely burning to a crisp in the radiation zone. Also challenging, as you mentioned, because we failed that the first time. Yeah. And then it, it's also, you know, a mystery. You're, you're trying to discover what's going on. You know, there's some vibes of uh, control where reality is bending in real time and you're not exactly sure what's causing it or how you can avoid it or <laughs> where everybody went. <laughs> it's a, definitely a mystery to be solved. So it was really intriguing to watch because I could see a how challenging it was. And the developers did mention that there is an endless mode where you don't have the constant threat of impending doom and you're allowed to just kind of cruise around and figure out what's going on at your leisure but it's also a bit of a life sim and they have licensed music and you can kind of just drive around the pacific northwest in your beat up station wagon and fix it up and it's an interesting mix and i suspect that this game would be really fun to watch people play and just kind of talk and have as sort of background for you know really great conversations and quality time with people yeah i had a lot of fun playing it with you and i agree i wouldn't mind playing this with someone else and i like that you brought up the endless mode because upon dying again the road light you lose part of your the gear that you found but yeah there's going to be other things in 
implemented. From what I understand, where you will maybe won't lose all of your gear and you can't die and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's very realistic, too, is the other thing I want to say. Like, I immediately hopped in the car and I pressed R2, assuming that would get me to go straight. And Rhea was like, maybe you should turn the key in the ignition. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Take the She's car like, out of the park. <laughs> maybe you should put the car out of park. She's like, you realize that your trunk is open. You don't have a door in the back. Have you ever driven a car before? It was hilarious. Because you don't think about that. I'm just so used to my go-kart racing where I just push RT and I go. But no, really interesting idea. And I'm excited to uh, play it later, the final build, and see where it goes. And plus, like, you know, a lot of trees. Sure. Eh, not usually not my thing. But because it is kind of in my backyard. I got to support Ironwood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, don't run into the mannequins. No. They're okay. not made of wood. Definitely made of stone. Yeah. I'm just calling it right now. That wrecked our shit up. Oh, yeah. And you have crafting, too. Like, you can build stuff, and you can build Band-Aids, and apparently using a Band-Aid fixes the car, or fixes you. I'm not sure if it was <laughs> us or the car it was fixing. We both It was hectic. Again, so. There was a lot going on. But we also played a lot of other stuff, together and separately. Andrea, do you want to talk about what you played before we continue to chit-chat? Sure. So one of the games that I played. Oh, wait, that we got to mention I, again, Pacific what? Drive. Oh, yes. Thanks. Yes. Thank the you, game. Ree. Good job. Yeah, Pacific Drive. So one of the games that I played, I honestly didn't have any intentions of seeking out this game at PAX. I actually hadn't really heard much about this game before, and apparently it's because it got revealed at the Future Games Spring Showcase. So I'm going to pull it up. I actually didn't talk about this at the panel. It's called Pizza Possum. (laughs) And we actually recommended this this game Mm -hmm. to me. Oh, okay. So it's basically exactly (laughs) as it sounds. You're a possum (laughs) that runs around and eats pizza. And so it's a top-down game. The art style kind of reminds me of Overcooked. And you essentially play this little possum and you go around and you eat various foods that you pick up. And then your goal is to just not get attacked by these dogs that are patrolling around. And you collect keys and unlock gates. And basically you just eat as much as you can. And then when you eat too much, you get really kind of chubby and you get slow (laughs) for a little period of time. Oh my God. And then you (laughs) eat more and run away more. And it's like super cute. It's being published by Raw Fury. The developer is Cozy Computer. And it's coming to PS5, Nintendo Switch, PC, and I think Xbox. So it's coming to all platforms. And it's just super cute. And it was really fun. And I just had a delightful little time. And that's one of the beauties of going to a show like PAX is that you get to find some of these little gems. And so that was a fairly fun little game, Pizza Possum, that's available to wishlist if you are a player on Steam. So So it was really colorful. I like the colors on it. Yeah. Very bright. Yeah. So that's one of the fun games I played. What else did you guys play? I played Strayed Lights. So... Uh, For those who aren't aware, I'm a huge Ori and the Blind Forest fan and tiny, tiny as in negative fan of Sekiro because it's super hard. So (laughs) when I heard that (laughs) there is this game that combined parry based like bot battles and boss fights with, you know, some of the the similar imagery and like sort of world painting to Ori, I was very intrigued. So Strayed Lights is, I'm reading from the Steam page, an atmospheric action adventure with fluid combat and an intricate world imbued with mystery. So you're this little character, you're this little ball of light and you grow, you know, a body. And in the tutorial, you learn that you can switch between either red energy or blue energy. And so can your enemies. 
When your enemies swipe at you with red energy, if you match the color and parry, there's different things you can fill out in your skill tree that will allow you to either like gain additional power against them or regain some HP if you've taken a couple of hits. But the core of what it does whenever you parry correctly is you gain meter on a staggerer bar at the bottom of your screen. And once it's full, then you can do a special move and defeat the enemy. So Mm -hmm. all of your enemy battles are going to be based on countering their moves and interpreting their time and interpreting what color they they have when they are attacking you. But then sometimes they're not red, they're not blue, they're purple. And that is an unblockable attack and then you have to dodge. So it is a very straightforward battle mechanic, but it was so snappy and so intuitive that I took to it immediately. And it made me feel like very accomplished. Like, ooh, I can parry. Mm. Like, I felt like I deserved a pat (laughs) on the back. I don't know if they dialed it down for for the demo, but it made me feel like I can do this right like it almost made me feel like I can go play Sekiro and actually one of the devs I was talking to said that after working on this game and after practicing and practicing they got better at Sekiro so I found Mm -hmm. that really really fascinating because this is a really beautiful world the the music is created by Austin Wintry who did Journey if you're familiar with that and it, it just has a really like wholesome but sort of mysterious vibe to it. But the combat is really, really intricate. And they do have accessibility options for folks who have trouble distinguishing the colors. And also what I found interesting is in the skill tree, if you're having trouble like matching colors and pairing during the specific time frame you can, there's ways to spec your skills in order to make that more forgiving. So maybe you're not as powerful, but things are easier to block. So I really enjoyed it, and it felt like it was a nice breath of fresh air. And uh, again, I don't play many single-player games, but this is definitely one that's on my radar. So it looks like that one is coming out April 25th, so a little bit over a month and a half from from now. But I'm definitely keeping my eyes peeled for this one. It looks super, super fun. Nice. No, Straight Lights looked really pretty. You were showing me other people playing it before your demo, and I was like, oh, that looks really nice. And I love... The parry mechanic in games is, you know, like I also try to avoid that stuff. But with Elden Ring and Wolong Fallen Dynasty, they're addicting. Because once you nail it, it gives you that rush. And you're like, ooh, it's very satisfying. And you want to keep going back and doing it. Hey, y'all want to hear about anthropomorphic dinosaurs? Yeah. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Goodbye Volcano High. So this is an upcoming narrative adventure indie game developed by Montreal-based studio KO underscore OP co-op. I'm assuming that's how you say that. It's coming June 15th for PS4, PS5, and Windows. And the game centers again on anthropomorphic dinosaur characters and the members of a band called Worm Drama. So you have a non-binary lead vocalist. You have a guitarist drummer and a school student council president and Fang's brother who is the lead and they are venturing through the highs and lows of their high school year while their impending doom looms upon them because uh, yeah there's a big old meteor coming and they are aware of it so if you thought high school was stressful enough now try being a dinosaur knowing that y'all about to go extinct you <laughs> know what I mean so I've always been intrigued by this game ever since it got announced it just looks like something again different and it's this narrative genre paired with this interactive rhythm and lyrics system that we got to talk to some of the team about and you as the main character Fang will be able to play instruments and write lyrics and you can perform songs and it's all voice acted and I Rhi and I you and I played for what 20 minutes each yeah yeah it was a it was like a full clip or a full like level I guess you would call it or yeah and I I know we always say switch when 
But just <laughs> sitting there on the show floor playing this, I had a sugar plum and, and fairy visions in my head of me cuddled up in my bed with this game on my Switch and just kind of watching this narrative unfold in front of me. It's such an interesting premise. But again, because it's all voice acted and I love how the voice acting just feels real and natural. It doesn't feel like over the top anime friendship. Woohoo! <laughs> it's, you know, everyone just talks as they would talk to their normal friend. And you have narrative choices to make. The narrative, I was talking to the team about this, the narrative will happen the way it's going to happen. Like you can't change the ending per se, but the way you make your choices and the way you spend time with certain characters will modify, you know, some of the minor ending scenes. That's kind of the feeling I got from how she was describing it. But no, like, you know, it was just, again, like something that we haven't really seen before. And I think, and I don't want to get this entirely wrong. I think she said, maybe you remember, 75 or 85% of the team here identifies as queer. And I think that's why they're able to tell such an interesting story that feels real and authentic. And just really kind of, I don't know if wholesome is the right word, because it's kind of like fucked up what's going to happen to these poor dinosaurs. I'm assuming, but even just making the decisions of, you know, do I want to say this or do I want to say that? And depending on how how the decision will impact you or your mental health as Fang, it's going to be more difficult to make that decision. Maybe you'll have to press certain buttons at once or maybe, you know, you'll have to like tap a button a certain amount of times. And then there's also this rhythm element to it where, you know, notes will come down because you're the leader of a band. And you're trying to kind of make your big break. And so, you know, you have this little rhythm mini game and and you can modify the difficulty as well. So if you're not really into rhythm games, don't worry. You can make it super easy. Or if you are into them, you can make it more difficult. But no, I I really enjoyed it. Ree, what do you think? I thought it was really, really charming. And again, I I too loved the voice acting. I'm curious to know how, how it translates to other localizations. I hope it's just as good as the English version, which we played. And I really like the character of uh, Fang, so the the lead character that you play as. There's lots of different flavors you can give them. Like if you want to be a little sassy or if you Mm -hmm. prefer to be very, you know, genuine and very, you know, open and and honest with your friends. And as you're making decisions in your dialogue with the, the other characters, you start to see this sort of circle with different rings of orbits around it. And it shows you who you're closer to and who you're a little bit more distant from. And it changes based on your decisions, which I thought was very intriguing. And I want to know more about like, like you said, how that affects like the, the the different versions of the ending that you might get, or different different positionings of of characters when you get to the inevitable end. And Where? yeah, there, there seemed like there was a lot to to discover here. So I'm really curious to see more. Yeah. Goodbye, volcano high. All right. So Re, you yeah. want to talk about another game? Yeah, I want to talk about a VR game. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm a little different for you. Yeah. So I'm not a VR aficionado. However, I have played a game or two in VR, and this one really, really surprised me. So I played this game almost on a whim. I walked by the Mighty Yell booth, and I went originally to play a different game that they already have out called The Big Con, but I saw that there was a sign-up to win a MetaQuest 2, and I asked what that whole thing was about, and they said, oh, there's a VR game that you can demo. It's still just a little clip of it, and we're only releasing it to press at this time, but if you're interested, you can take a look, and I decided to. So it's called A Night in the Attic. It's on SteamVR and MetaQuest 2, and that's coming out on April 13th, so pretty soon. But what was 
so surprising to me is how the game made me feel. So it's you sitting in an attic and you're opening these toy boxes and looking at these things and you're like, oh, clearly it's a puzzle game. Immediately I'm like, hell fucking yes, this is right up my alley. (laughs) But then it has this fantasy angle where you're trying to, you know, guide this princess through a maze. But the way you're doing it is the kind of physical puzzle where you have a ball in a maze that you're holding in your hands and you rotate the maze in order to get the ball to roll and miss holes and get to the end of it. But as you start going further and further in, more and more of this world starts popping up in the little maze in your hands. And it almost feels like a combination of a puzzle and a storybook because Mm. as you move, you know, from right to left as you're progressing through this maze, you see like more lush environments, like the, the different areas that you're you're going through as your little character become more detailed and, and rich and vibrant. And it, it, it just felt like so like, oh, like I, I had a sense of awe and wonder and joy as I was playing through it. And it truly felt like like discovering something for the first time as a kid. And and I left it on Aww. such an emotional high that I was like, I gotta see more of this game. And it, it really did combine some of my favorite elements of uh, puzzles. And, and then the VR felt very, very natural. And I really, really enjoyed it. I know it's not super accessible as far as cost because VR is not a very easy console to get your hands on. But for anybody who has it and is looking for something to play, keep an eye out for this one. It's it's really, really beautiful and, and something very special. So I really enjoyed my time with it. That's A Night in the Attic. Very nice. And it's coming out very soon. Very April soon. April 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple weeks. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So I have two games that I want to talk about. One of them quickly won a little bit more, but not too much because um, <laughs> we, we still have more show to get to, everybody. But one of the games I talked about on our PAX East panel that I wanted to mention again here for everybody who is listening to the show is a game called Star Salvager. So this game is something unlike anything I've ever seen, and it's very rare that I come across a game that truly feels so unique and original. And I don't say that to be reductive of all the other amazing video games that are out there. There's just, I mean, it's tough to come up with an original concept. There's a lot of inspiration that developers take from each other, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why I think I was so drawn to this really unique concept. So when I originally got the email from the PR team, from Julia on the PR team, I was like, listen, I have no idea what the heck this game is. (laughs) And she had described it. She says, FTL meets Galaga, meets Tetris. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck is that? That sounds absolutely bonkers. So the team is a small Ottawa-based studio called A-Game Studios, and it's literally five people <laughs> who yeah. make this game. And if you're watching the B-roll at youtube.com slash what's good games, you see the kind of telltale little squares that make up tetraminos that look very familiar, but these aren't tetraminos. These are what they call harmonic shapes. And what's really interesting about the way they run the game is that you essentially have your little ship and you're going through, you know, space and you're trying to avoid enemies as they're shooting you, but you can rotate your ship around and collect these colored blocks as they're dropping to create these harmonic shapes that will then give you ammo or give you health or give you stamina. I'm going to try to pull up another little gameplay trailer here that I found so you guys can see a little bit more gameplay because I know sometimes this concept is a little bit difficult to just understand, like hearing somebody describe it. So essentially you 
go through these different levels, collecting things and making these harmonic shapes. And obviously it gets increasingly difficult, but you upgrade your ship as you go along. What I really loved about this game and what really struck me is that it feels like such a fresh take on some really classic gameplay styles. I mean, think about, you know, Galaga and how old that game is and how you don't really see a lot of games doing that style of gameplay and taking Tetris, also a game, you know, that's pretty old, but then combining it with some of the kind of newer RPG mechanics that you get from a game like FTL. And so I really love that they are thinking about ways to appeal to gamers of all different backgrounds and ages and really create a unique style of gameplay that creates this really awesome opportunity to tease your brain with the puzzle elements, but also you have to be thinking about the enemies that are coming at you and what you're collecting and what parts of your ship you want to upgrade and is there specific pieces as you're going through these levels that you want to collect. And it's so colorful too. The artwork is really beautiful. It's a game that I want to spend a lot more time playing, a lot more time figuring out, and I am very excited to, to see more from this game and to play more from this game. It's currently, the, she said that they are in beta right now, but that they're hoping to release by summer of this year. So hopefully we'll be coming out pretty soon. And it's called Star Salvager. And you can find out more about it on their Steam page. I believe they have a wish list trailer and some other stuff that you can learn about. So really, uh, really fun little game. That is an Andrea-ass game in the best way possible. <laughs> you know, I it. didn't think it would be because yeah. I wasn't, you know, super into FTL when it first came out. And I didn't actually play a lot of that game. But, I mean, you throw the word Tetris in there. I'll definitely, I'll take a look. Tetris is, you know, one of my favorite games of all time. It's one of the best, so... And the team was just really lovely when we stopped by and met them at their booth at PAX. And it was really great. Now, the one game that I made an appointment for (laughs) that I was like, I must see this game. Yes. Yes. Is it on us. Gollum. So we had heard about this game quite a bit. It's being published by Dedalic. The Lord of the Rings Golem is the official name of the game. And I've been kind of keeping tabs on this game because y'all know. I'm a Tolkien stan and I love the Lord of the Rings and, and the Hobbit and those stories and that fiction has been a part of my life since I was a very young child. And this game, I admit, I didn't really have high expectations for because I was like a game with Gollum as the protagonist kind of was like, oh, he's uh-huh. not really a good guy, but he's not a bad guy. He's kind of this wishy-washy in the middle, but I feel like he definitely skews more bad guy than good guy in the overall lore of the Lord of the Rings. They're calling this a story-driven action adventure. And the tagline from PR is, take on a perilous journey as Gollum, chasing the only thing that is precious to him, which of course we know is the one ring. Gollum is skillful and cunning, but also torn between his split personality, one mind, two egos, you decide. So that's a big gameplay mechanic. Um, Let me pull up some of the B-roll that they sent over for me to show you guys from the gameplay that I had. So I had like a BD, like 30 minutes of hands-on time with the game. And what I thought was really kind of striking to me about what I played was that there's clearly a lot of characters being referenced that are unnamed. And I asked the developers like, hey, like, why is this just like wizard? Like, why isn't it clearly Gandalf? It's clearly (laughs) fucking Gandalf. Why don't you just, you know, name him Gandalf in the text? And they're like, well, because you're playing from the perspective of Gollum. And at this point, Gollum doesn't know who Gandalf Ah. is. And I was like, Okay, I see what you're doing there. (laughs) Trixie, Trixie Hobbit is. Um, Anyway, I 
didn't walk away from my gameplay session feeling very excited for the release. I walked away feeling a little torn between wanting to know more about how the story is going to unfold and the pieces of the lore. Because the where this is set in the canon for people who are familiar with what's happening in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit is this is, I believe they said three years after he meets Bilbo for the first time. So just barely like post Hobbit. So pre Frodo, pre Lord of the Rings. So it's set in between those two books. And I found it jarring for me personally that Gollum's physical transformation hadn't really fully completed because the Peter Jackson movies make it feel like he's should be fully transformed and they're just taking a little bit of a different artistic approach. So I did like, however, how a lot of the narrative elements that we got to see allowed you to choose between Smeagol, his, you know, Harfoot persona and Gollum, his, you know, wicked creature persona in narrative situations, meaning you had some branching dialogue options where you could choose to act as Smeagol or choose to act as Gollum. And it would have a narrative impact on the outcome of the overall story. I thought that that was a really smart choice and was really a good way to make Gollum seem like an interesting protagonist. But the gameplay that I came across in the demo that I played just didn't feel as compelling as I wanted it to. I think I made the joke on the panel that it felt like Assassin's Creed Gollum. And (laughs) the reason I said that is because you sneak through tall grass and have to hide from guards. You climb walls. You jump off of ledges. It very much just feels like very basic action adventure gameplay. And it just doesn't really feel like it makes sense for a character like Gollum. I almost wish they had made it more walking sim than full action adventure because he's just not a powerful character. And video games are about the fantasy. And when they're not about the fantasy, they're about the narrative. And it feels like this game is not fully investing in one or the other from my gameplay so far. It feels like they've split their time between them in a way that makes them unsuccessful in both, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Watching the gameplay, first of all, I think this is a horror game. I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, I literally had, like, my, I can't stand, like, this creature. It creeps me out. Just watching it, though, kind of reminds me, and this is going to sound bad, but whatever, of, like, the PS2, early PS3 era when you would just slap a game with an IP on it and be like, okay, here's, like, a thing where you can, like, run around and jump and do cool things, but you're this character that you love so much. You're spider Man or your XYZ back in the day, you know, when the games weren't all that good. And it looks like it's just Gollum running and jumping, and I'm not seeing anything. Not that I would be necessarily intrigued by this anyway, but if it was more of a walking sim, if I did see more of a narrative something going on, you know, I love that fantasy setting, but I'm like, I don't need to run and jump and hide in grass. Like, I'm good. Yeah, it's and if I want to say it did feel good, like the the tuning of everything felt good. Like he ran at a decent pace, and you know the climbing felt just the right amount of sticky, and like the overall game feel was on point. But you're right that I feel like our expectations are just in a different place for a game that's trying to be this action adventure caliber. And I, what I just kept coming back to was, you know, what's what's the hook? Why keep going forward? Because there's no progression mechanics in this game, meaning you don't level up Gollum, right? Like narratively, that wouldn't make sense. He doesn't have a skill tree with special abilities that narratively wouldn't make sense either. And so it's like, well, what are you doing then? And you don't really do a lot of combat 
Because also that wouldn't narratively make sense because he's not that kind of a character. He's a slinky in the shadows, always watching, never engaging kind of character. And he has a couple moments of engagement, you know, throughout the actual canon of, you know, the Tolkien literature. But that's why I just kept kind of head scratching as to, you know, why Gollum, like, why was he the choice for the Middle Earth Enterprises game that you wanted to make? And, you know, I didn't get the opportunity to ask that question specifically, but I also didn't feel comfortable asking that because part of me is like, well, do I want to hear the answer? You know, I think my gut tells me somebody just has a love of this lore in this universe and wanted to make something and they wanted to do something different. And I think they maybe just got lost with too many ideas. Like our good old pal Steimer used to say, this game probably could have done with a little bit of editing, a little bit of the game director coming in and saying, hey, these are all great ideas. Love them. Awesome. We can't do all of this and be successful in all of them. So maybe we should pick maybe one or two things that we think we could really nail because the fan expectation for a Tolkien game is going to be pretty high. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned that this game is going to kind of be this in this middle place and not resonate with people the way they're hoping it's going to, which bumps me out because, you know, I wanted this game to be awesome. Can I ask you a question, Andrea? So I was looking over your shoulder for part of your playthrough, not all of it. And there was a bit that did intrigue me where, as you mentioned, you have some narrative decisions to make between what Golem wants to do, what Smeagol wants to do. And then following the decision I saw you make, one of them had to convince the other of the next action they're going to take together. Is there anything like that, like any nugget like that, that you think could potentially save your excitement for this game that that would sort of like lean more into the narrative bit and into the lore and what makes you know, this a Tolkien game? Yes, if they had focused more on that instead of on these sort of drawn out traversal of these areas and these forced stealth moments. That's why I think a walking sim may have been a better option for this, even more of a, like a Life is Strange style game where it's, or like a telltale game, right? Where it's definitely just more about interacting with characters in the world and focusing on what the story is and picking your branching narrative and having that impact your gameplay. That to me would have been a better gameplay style than a story-driven action adventure. Because when you play an action adventure game in third person, in 2023, I mean, the bar is pretty high, you know? You've got Elden Ring and Horizon and God of War and all of these wild action adventure games that have set this crazy bar. And then you have this game, which is not that game, right? Is doing much less than those. And that's okay. But that's why I'm like, but why then make me go through all of these things where like, I I got so frustrated with this one section that I was playing in the demo where I had to stealth through this section of a cave trying to get to Shelob's lair. And I just kept failing it because the timing window to sneak up on this one orc was so small. And this other timing window where if you got too close to them, they would see you in the in the grass. But if you didn't get close enough, it wouldn't like trigger the next thing that was supposed to happen in the scene. I was like, so this feels punitive in a way that's not fun to play. The part that's fun, as you mentioned, is the narrative stuff where I get to see Smeagol and Gollum talking to themselves. And you get to pick what is Smeagol going to say to Gollum to convince him and what is Gollum going to say to Smeagol to try to convince him. And then how do the characters you're in the scene with react to Smeagol and Gollum clearly talking to themselves, <laughs> right? 
that to me is what's so great about this character, what could have been really interesting. And I didn't get to see enough of that in my gameplay demo because I spent a lot of time sneaking around in grass and climbing walls. And I was like, why am I doing this? Is it canon? Do you know? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Okay. Well, there's your reason. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think they could have absolutely done a canning game that was more narrative focused. And yeah. I don't know if like they just wanted to make a bigger game and this is what they landed at or or what. But I'm not writing it off as like a don't play this game. But I think people should, you know, go in with the expectation that there's going to be a lot of gameplay elements that feel maybe a little forced and... Mm-hmm. I hope to see more of the narrative and more that I play because, again, this was just a demo. I only saw a small portion of the game. I don't know how it's all going to unfold, but it wasn't, unfortunately, a good takeaway for me. Yeah. Well, how about we talk about some farm animals real quick? Hey. Okay. You know, Total Hard Pivot doesn't Golem eat cows or some shit? Uh, No, that would be a very large meal for him. He's more of a fish guy. Oh, well, there's fishing in this, too. Um, no, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out because I know we're, we've been talking for, well, it's only been an hour or ten. We're fine. The X-Seed booth, uh, because that was just, like, the mood booster I needed on my second-to-last day of PAX. It was just so lovely to be there. And X-Seed, you might be thinking, what is X-Seed? Well, Story of Seasons. Farming friends. That's me. That I'm the farming girl. So I played Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life, and this is a remake of the original game, which has all new events, new festivals, recipes to cook, new crops and all bunch of fun stuff to do but I was only given 20 minutes with this demo and anyone knows that 20 minutes in a farming game is nothing (laughs) at all so I got to run around talk to some people I got to pet my cow and then my demo was like okay thanks for playing and I was bumped but it looked really good it looked like what you'd expect from a remake of this game and if you're into story of seasons and farming games definitely be excited for this one it's coming out June 27th But the game that really surprised me at this booth and I really want to talk about briefly is Trinity Trigger. And this game is described as, quote, Step into the world of Trinity Trigger, an all-new action role-playing game combining the look and feel of iconic RPGs from the 90s with a modern emphasis on fast-paced, customizable combat. That doesn't scream Brit. I don't know what does. (laughs) And within a few minutes of playing Trinity Trigger, I looked to the guy who was giving me my demo and I was like, you know what this really reminds me of is Secret of Mana. And again, Secret of Mana, one of the best Super Nintendo games of all time. Come to find out that the world building and the composer both worked on Secret of Mana back in the day. And also people from Xenoblade and Octopath Traveler. So you have a really a really nice team coming together to make this game. And essentially, like, I'm trying to explain it. If you've played Secret of Mana before, you know what to expect. But essentially, it looks like a 90s RPG in the best way possible. And you play as Scion, a young man burdened with the mantle of Warrior of Chaos. So pretty much... There are people who are burdened with being a warrior of chaos and a warrior of order, and you are destined to fight each other and create war. But you're like, I'm a good guy. I don't want to fight anybody. So you and your friends are setting out to try to prevent this entire war from happening. And you have what are called triggers, which kind of remind me of Pokemon in a way. Not that there's any like Pokemon collecting or anything like that in this game, but they act as your weapons. And there are eight types of weapons, and you can freely switch between them and the three characters in your party. And there are elemental strengths and 
weaknesses. And the best part, well, one of the best parts is you can play with up to two friends in local co-op. And it reminds me, again, a lot of Secret of Mana. So if you enjoyed that game back in the day, you definitely want to look at this. Or if you enjoyed RPGs from the 90s, definitely look into this as well. It has towns, it has dungeons, it has side quests. I think the guy said he finished in about 20 hours. But with side quests and all, maybe you're looking at 30 to 40 hours. So it's a beefy game. But with co-op, I think it's going to make it all the more fun. And it just looks really pretty. And I was really excited about it. And it comes out very soon, April 25th on Switch, PS4, PS5, and PC. Trinity Trigger. Whew, that was a lot. (laughs) So good. Yeah, you were were pulling a B-roll fast. I'm sure your fingers are smoking right now. (laughs) I'm I'm trying. I know some of these games, you know, I want to just give people a little look, but just doing my best over here. (laughs) Brie, let's give a quick shout out real quick to Brett and Fred, if we can. Yeah, yeah. I can give a quick uh, 90 second version for Brett and Fred. So you're two penguins, you're tied together with the rope and you're scaling a mountain and it's super cute. You got to work together. There's really great options inside the game to help you count down and get timing right. Also, really great accessibility options like an infinite jump if you get super stuck. Hallelujah! (laughs) And yeah, it's adorable and a fun little co-op challenge. You can also play by yourself with a rock instead of a friend because sometimes your best friend's a rock. And yeah. The rock's name is Jeff. The rock's name is Jeff. Chef and it has a face on it. Yeah, you pretty much have to time your jump, swing, cling to walls, and just climb up the mountain. And so it's like a, it's a 2D platformer with a buddy that can tear you down or lift you up. <laughs> Quite literally, yeah. And you have to work together or you will fall. But because of the flag system, you can always work back to where mm-hmm. you were. Yeah, it's just one of those cute little charming different games. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, I'm glad we checked it out. Something I'll play with Jason. But don't play this with someone you can't communicate in a healthy manner to. <laughs> Amazing. Bread and bread. And Excellent. <laughs> well, does that bring us to the end of our gameplay segment? Because believe it or not, folks, we still have more show to go. <laughs> I love Dead Island, too. I'm just going to piggyback off everything you said during your preview. It was a lot of fun. It felt good. It looked good. I was very surprised. I love how gory and nasty the zombies looked. Rhea was like, I'm not going to look. I'm like, that's okay. I respect that because they look nasty. But no, it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to play it Dead Island, fun. too. Yeah, it was a lot of good. I'm excited to get the final game, and that'll be our first episode back for the break. So. Hell yeah. Yeah, look forward to that, everybody. Speaking of things to look forward to, we have a phenomenal interview with Mary Kenny coming up in just a minute. We have one last break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It is the third and final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. And we have an awesome interview that we're just about to jump into. But before we do that, it's that time of the month, y'all, where we mispronounce your names. That's right. <laughs> Patreon.com slash What's Good Games is where our elite patrons support us. And you can, too, help keep What's Good Games going. Keep the lights on, as it were, by supporting us. And you could get your name shouted out on the podcast. So without further ado, Brittany, kick things off for us. Thank you, Dasime. And how about Nate? And oh, I forgot about Nate. Sorry, oh. Nate. You did forget about Nate. Don't worry. I didn't forget about you, Nate. <laughs> Sammy Salazar. Ty the Dude. Guy on the Stick. Robert Griffin. Ryan Sachel. Bill Rosas. Casual Blasphemy. Trick 24. Omega Buster. Cesar Laura. Daniel Hall. Eric Z. Dracos 3442. Chewy's Godson. Excess Oddities. Tara Bruno. Trent Barry. 
Sean I. Brian R. Johnston. Justin Foshi. Patrick Landry. Punctified. Who we saw at PAX. Hello. So good seeing you. Rob Leonard. Kenneth Stimmo. Trent Pennington. Flores Atrier. Jessica Blum. Patrick Weller. Matthew Goder. Noel Navarez. Chris Wang. Tyler McCall. Adrian Rock Williams. Shai Jackson Burgess. Gary Bat. Robert F. Freimering. Cara Milne. Pete, who makes shoes. Wall of Bill. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to mess this up again. <laughs> Teresa An- Anert. It's okay. Anert? It's Enert. Enert. It's, it's all right. Don't even, it's fine. The balls are Enert. <laughs> Jason DeMail. Alex Rogopoulos. <laughs> Andrew Cotton. <laughs> Gia Carsey. <laughs> Nicole Humphrey. John Drake. And Trevor Stocky. Thank you so much to all of our patrons, including the ones we got to say hello to in person at Paxi. So it was so wonderful to get to see so many people, just fans of the show in general, coming out to support us and our brand in Boston. Uh, we love doing this. We miss doing meetups. It was so nice to get to see people again, and we hope to do more in the future. So before we get to Mary's interview, I also want to let you know this episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Dave. We've all been there. You have an unexpected medical expense or you get into a fender bender, but you don't have the money to pay for it immediately. Now, Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. And no, it's not just some guy named Dave. Dave is the banking app that could help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. With Dave, there's no interest, no late fees or credit check. There's more money to fill your tank, finally get your car repaired or catch up on bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. You can finally tackle those expenses that you've been stressing out about. And millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief that they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and you need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from a future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to Dave.com. That's Dave.com, D-A-V-E.com. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Now that we've been teasing this interview with Mary Kenny all show, we've finally gotten to it, everybody. So here is the book that Mary wrote. It's called Gamer Girls, 25 Women Who Built the Video Game Industry. And it is just a phenomenal book. If you guys haven't picked it up yet or even heard that it exists. There's all this beautiful artwork in it as well by Selene Pereira and just wonderful stories about women who work in video games that helped shape the industry that you probably haven't heard of. And not only did we talk to Mary about that, but Brittany, we talked to Mary just kind of about her job and what it means to be a writer in video games too. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one of the main takeaways, one of the important takeaways as well is you never know. Everyone has a different path to getting to their gig. You know, there's not one way to do it. So maybe if you feel like your path hasn't taken you in the most optimal route, never you fear. There's still hope for you yet or something. Absolutely. She shares some really fun nuggets. So enjoy the interview, everybody. What's good, everybody? Andrea and Britt here with a very special interview. Please welcome to the show senior writer at Insomniac Games and author of Gamer Girls, the book about the 25 women who built the video games industry. Mary Kenny is here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Mary, I'm I'm so so glad we finally made this happen. We've been trying to get this scheduled for literally, what, four months, I think, at this point? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like many moons have passed. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, man, it's been a busy time. Absolutely. But so wonderful to finally have you on the show. And we are going to talk about your book in just a moment, which is the original reason why we you know, started talking last fall is when your book came out. But for people who aren't familiar with the work that you've done, you've been working in video games for many years now, worked on several high profile projects. And as I mentioned, you're currently on staff at Insomniac Games. But can you talk to us a little bit about kind of how you got into video game writing and kind of what your first video game job was? Totally. Yep. So I majored in journalism in college and became a journalist out of college. I covered crime and sports and business and pretty much, you know, the all, fun all stuff. the beats, all, wow. you know, all that really light, light and breezy stuff. <laughs> so, so I was, I was bouncing from desk to desk. So I did that for a couple years. I worked at the New York Times and the Tampa Bay Times and San Diego paper. And, and I was, I was bouncing around newspapers and then magazines, but I'd always loved video games. I played video games since I was teeny tiny. I loved the writing in them and talking about the stories. So I applied to grad school at NYU at the NYU game center for their game design program. And I did that for a year and got an internship at Telltale Games. While I was at NYU was when I got my first actual game writing contract. It was with a small studio in Spain. They found me on Twitter and I was saying, hello, I would like to be a game writer. And that's that's kind of it. They, they <laughs> gave me my first contract. Wow. We're done. Yeah, it worked on a game <laughs> called The Great Whale Road. It was Really, it was a fun indie project. It was very like prose and text heavy. So it was a really good learning experience for me. And then out of that, went to Telltale for the internship. And at the end, they said, do you want to just like stay? And I said, yes. <laughs> and that's, that's how it, it all got launched. So yeah, I was at Telltale for a couple of years and then did some freelancing. And then I've been at Insomniac for four years now. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of curious to know at what point did you say like, oh, I think I can write for video games. Like, how did that train of thought come into your head? I can distinctly remember the moment that it had. It really was like a lightning bolt moment because I live in Chicago and I I did at the time. And I was walking under one of my favorite bridges across the Chicago River and (laughs) just had this thought of like, I think about video game narratives all the time. I'm literally always thinking about like, how could I have improved this story? What do I think this character would have done differently? How would I branch this in a different way? What if I just, I'm already a writer. What if I could just apply that to this other medium that I really like? So that occurred to me. And, you know, I basically went home and Googled how to write the video games, you know, something like that. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I actually, I went to Dragon Con in Atlanta because I knew that a bunch of Bioware writers were going to be there talking about their approaches to writing and their approaches to writing. I think either a Dragon Age game had just come out or it was just about to. So they were really talking about like their approaches to to different types of level design and how to write well to them. And I thought, perfect. That's what I think I want to do. I'll actually hear from them and, and see if it's true. I went to all of their panels at Dragon Con and at the end of the weekend was so fired up. Like I was texting my then boyfriend, now husband, like, I have to go to grad school. (laughs) I have to stop what I'm doing. So that, yeah, that's how it happened. I went to that con and like the following week started my grad school applications and, you know, found out in January that I'd gotten into NYU and that just launched this whole thing (laughs) that I'm on. 
I love that. You know, we see panels all the time at conventions. And I think for us, you know, it's just like a fun thing to talk about our podcast and the games we played. But for those ones that are very distinctly for people in the industry to talk about what they do. Yeah. You sometimes forget like that can be a real kick in the ass for people to pursue their dreams. Yeah, it, it really what I was like, this is a real job. Like, this is a job that people go to work and do every single day. And that that's, that's what really it's not a dream. It's also a job. And that means I can actually do things to work toward it. And that 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 was exactly what I needed. I would love to talk a little bit more about the specifics of the job. We were talking about a big AAA video game that came out not too long ago. And some people had some issues with the writing in the game. And there was a lot of discourse online. And I think there was a lot of confusion from a consumer standpoint about who actually writes the video game. What is the difference between narrative writing and story writing? People who are on the story team and who are on the narrative team. Because these writing teams can be quite large sometimes. And I thought, who better to ask about what the difference is than Mary. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh boy, I teach every fall, I teach a narrative design class. And that's my opening lecture is always like, here's all the titles you're going to hear. <laughs> they all do something kind of similar and different. So a lot of it does depend on the studio, unfortunately. I mean, some call their departments the narrative department. Some it's the story department. Some it's the writing department. It's it's very varied. And the difference, it, th- there are just so many pieces that go into a game. And every piece has narrative utility. So you have what you're working with here are environment artists, character artists. And what I'm about to say is just minimum. I mean, the team is even much bigger than this. but Environment character, level designers who are sometimes narrative designers and sometimes not, combat designers, and writers who may be that narrative designer. So we're all building these levels together. And the hardest thing about games writing is getting everybody aligned. A really strong creative director and team of directors is getting everybody, this is the story we're telling. These are the themes we're going for. This is the mood that we're going for. And everybody has to be clicked into that same thing. Where you get a lot of dissonance in video games is when they're not, where the level is is making us feel one way and the, it, the look of it is saying something totally different and then the words coming out of characters mouths totally don't feel like those other two and so all that has to mesh really well it's why communication is really critical in games and narrative designers typically they are working on story and story beats sometimes they're doing actual dialogue writing but sometimes they're focused more on building levels and sometimes they're mostly doing implementation so like They can be building levels. They could be plugging in the VO lines. They could be adding like lore dumps, you know, so different things you can read. So they can do all sorts of things. Writers tend to, they just, they write the dialogue. (laughs) They write all the text that you see in a game. So that includes a lot of times they'll work with the UI and design teams to do tutorial text as well as all the story stuff. So there's there's a lot. (laughs) It's um, For my job, I am mostly focused on overall story and structure, characters and arcs, and then actually writing cinematics, dialogue, lore, backstory. But a lot of my job also includes talking to all those other teams. Because if I'm writing VO that that is not matching the environment, it's going to fall apart. So it's writers and narrative designers both write very often, but it's a juggernaut, especially on AAA games. So there's no one answer is basically what you're saying. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say my very long-winded way of saying (laughs) 
it depends. <laughs> that is just so fascinating to me. You know, one of my favorite genres is JRPGs and RPGs mm-hmm. in general, especially like those Dragon Age. Like I love getting like really into the, the lore and the characters and all that. I can only imagine the headache it must be to make sure everyone is writing this. Because is it multiple writers tackle the same character or is it like one writer is assigned a single character? It's another, it depends on the studio. Okay. I have, when I worked at Telltale, we tended to do one writer to one character. So mm-hmm. you kind of own their voice. But, you know, for example, what do you do if your character is the main character? They're in every single scene. So unless you're writing the whole thing, you're going to have to hand it off to somebody else and then review it. Right. Mm-hmm. So even that can get tricky. At other studios I've worked with, it's was split up by level. So it's almost like writing the different chapters in a book and then trying to make it into one book. Mm. <laughs> then, so the whole writing team has to sit down and comb through it and give each other notes. And that's where you usually have a lead writer or a narrative director, as well as the creative director who is giving those notes, who is trying to aim for that cohesion. I know because I interviewed her for my book at BioWare, they have a robust editing staff. And that is why they get a lot of that cohesion is that they, in addition to the creative director and the lead writer, they also have editors who are in charge of different character voices and making sure they sound consistent across the whole game. It's almost like that's important, you know? (laughs) Editors might be important. (laughs) But I think it's really fascinating to know just how many different jobs on narrative teams are available for people who are like, hey, like I'm really interested in helping create stories in video games and I want to maybe explore careers there. There are multiple paths. You don't just have to be the person who's like physically writing out, you know, the words that the characters are going to say. There's a lot of other, you know, paths that you can take, which I think is really exciting and and interesting. Um, Something that maybe, you know, if you want to learn more, you should take Mary's class, um, which we will uh, (laughs) link to her website where you can find more information about that uh, in the show notes. But I do also, of course, want to talk about this book that you wrote. So in addition to, you know, having your day job, you put out this book, which I which I have here again, for people who are listening, it's called Gamer Girls, 25 Women Who Built the Video Game Industry. And there are some there are some gems in here, some some wonderful women that you have featured. And I feel like I know a lot of these, but there's a surprising amount of women who I didn't really have any background on. So could you tell me a little bit of how your process was like finding the subjects for your book? Cause I mean, narrowing it down had to be really tough. It was. I, one of my favorite anecdotes to tell about the book process, which is, this is me revealing my own naivete. Um, I went in and, you know, I had started, working with Eric Smith, who's my agent on this idea of like, you know, maybe we'll profile 25 people for this. And I was like, I'm not gonna be able to find 25 people. Like, (laughs) especially because we we knew we were focused on this. Well, at the time, the 70s, 80s and 90s. And then that ended up being expanded to the 60s and early 2000s, because I found some stories I had to include. But at the time, 70s, 80s and 90s, and and I was just like, there there just aren't enough there, there aren't going to be enough people. And I was completely wrong. And so the process was, combing through a lot of research. Um, You know, I say it took two years to write the book, but really that's like a year and a half of research and then six months of actually writing. And the research was combing through games. Game credits was a big one. That gave me a lot of names where I was just like, oh, I've never heard of this woman. I've never heard of this one. This one did a lot of environments. And, you know, 
There was that. There was combing through a lot of internet archives on old gaming magazines and seeing who was profiled and who was giving quotes. Those were my two really big sources. And then I also just kind of put the word out. There is a robust, I guess, pipeline, I would say, of academics in video games, which not a ton of people know, <laughs> actually, is that, that there is a, there's a ton of academic research into video games and into the people that make them. MIT has a big department that focuses on this. NYU obviously has people that focus on this. USC has a very good focus on video games. So there there's a lot more than I think I, I teach at Indiana University. So there's there's a lot more than I think people realize. So I reached out to a bunch of professors I who I'd taken classes with at NYU and said, do you want to give me a list? <laughs> like you would know, you've, Help you've me been out, doing please. this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, totally. So Naomi Clark, who's now the chair of the program and uh, Clara Fernandez really, really helped me out there. And they, um, Clara also read an early copy of the book too and gave me notes. So, so it was a ton of working with academics as well. So yeah, a lot of research. I ended up with over a hundred names. Wow. And then the, yeah. Yeah. Which was great. I was like, well, that's good. It's not as, it's, it's not as rough as I thought it was. The pairing down process then was a combination of who could I talk to? If I couldn't talk to them, could I get first or secondary sources? Could I fact check everything? So going through that process to to piece together their stories and make sure that everything I was doing is accurate. Bringing that journalism background into the fold. <laughs> I like it. It was coming back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What inspired you to make a book like this? I mean, I don't need to tell you that. It's an amazing idea, but... You know. <laughs> so the original idea came from Eric, my agent, who reached out and said, I think this book needs to exist. And I was like, Eric, there's no way that book doesn't exist. Somebody's written that already. And I searched and I was like, it doesn't exist. There is no, there's no YA history book on on women in games. There, there just isn't. There are current books on women currently working in games, but like that's not that's not the same thing. It's not talking about the foundations of the industry. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the spark. And then as I, I dig into this in the intro of the book, I was still I was kind of on the fence about it because you said like I had a full time job. I was fairly busy at the time. I gave a talk to a group of high schoolers um, at like a summer coding camp. And when I gave this talk to them, you know, I did basically what I just did w- with you, which is this is what my career looks like. This is what my day to day looks like. Do you have any questions for me? And when we got to the question part, all they wanted to talk about was Gamergate. Yep. And yeah. every time somebody wants to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> every time. And in this case, though, like at first I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about Gamergate. What I realized, you know, when I kind of set aside what I wanted for a second, focused on why they were asking, these are high school girls looking at getting into games. They wanted to know if it was going to happen to them. Like they wanted to know if it was worth it. That that is like I'm like tearing up there because it's like really much. It's a like, hard conversation to have, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it it really broke my heart. Of like, I want you know the, all these 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 young women who are so passionate and working so hard, and their number one question is, if I pursue my dream job, am I going to get harassed? Sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a bummer. Yeah. I understand why, and it's fair. But but that was really what flipped me into I have to write this book because. I don't want to downplay the effects of Gamergate or online harassment, but at the same time, that's not the whole story. Like, there's so much of my job that I love. I love getting up and doing my job every day. And the less than five times I've had to deal with, you know, online jerks, it it, it just, like, 
the weight of how much I love my job is so much more than than that harassment. So I wanted to give young women like that a different perspective of look at all these wins, though. <laughs> look at all these women who got to do this and love this. And that's it. That's that's why the book exists. That's a great reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Something that Brittany and I get asked as well. We specifically don't talk about Gamergate, not because we're opposed to it necessarily. I mean, we would prefer not to. We think that there's a myriad of other subjects that are well deserving of our time instead. But I think it's because we, you know, also see the value as you do in being honest with people about like, yeah, there are pitfalls. There are challenges to being a woman in this space and to being a woman in this community that we're not going to sugarcoat. But there's, I think, a challenge to being in almost any online space today, whether you identify as a woman or not. And those are things that young people increasingly have to learn how to cope with that I certainly didn't have to worry about coping with when I was in high school, which I'm still very grateful for. And so I'm glad that, you know, you felt confident and open to have that conversation with them and say, hey, like, listen, you're going to deal with some tough stuff. I'm not going to not going to lie to you. But yeah. If you can find a way to cope with that, the upside is so cool and so great. And the people you're going to meet and work with are going to be so wonderful that I want to encourage you to explore it if you're passionate about it. I love that message. I mean, that that's exactly it. Like, we're, we're all online at this point. We all have access to so much more information and so much of each other's, so much more of each other's inner lives than we ever have before. <laughs> for good and for ill. So it's like, while you're... I would never want somebody to be afraid to do what they want to with their life because of those spaces, right? And and that was why I'm like, you, you have to have a more rounded viewpoint about this industry and what it means to work in it. Because I I don't want to I don't want it to feel like I'm smacking down games journalists because they're great, but like we get a lot more coverage of things like harassment, and gamergate, as we should. Like that is important reporting. But it can, if that's all you're reading, it can skew what you think the industry is, if 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 that's all you're getting, right? So that's why I just, I just kind of wanted to help balance that a little bit as I, is, is my big motivation there. And I did have, when we were pitching the book around after I, you know, started writing a few chapters and we put together the proposal and pitched around, I did have a few people who were interested in it, but in, in buying it, but who were much more like, I'm interested in it if you turn it into like a bird book, like if it becomes a book about, oh the, my bullying, gosh. about the Gamergate. And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> why? Yeah, I'm not I'm like, no, that's there are amazing journalists who could write that book, who should write that book, like go forth and conquer. But like, I'm not writing that book. That's not the book I'm interested in. That's definitely not this one. So, you know, props we suck to, our guns. Props <laughs> to you. You know, I think we forget that we're so, we're still in those early days of the game industry, right? Like we're mm-hmm. kind of like at ground zero here. And like you said, it's surprising that there was never a book written about women in historical impact they've had on video games. But now because of you, there is. And hopefully now we can incorporate that into our community online and in the real world and it won't be such a weird taboo thing to think of like you know some of your favorite creators and masterminds behind some of your favorite ips were women i think that is still a surprising fact to people so props that's all i'm saying thank you (laughs) i actually had that section of your book like tagged to be like ooh, i wonder if we should talk to mary about that but i'm glad that you i'm glad that you brought it up i did want to mention brett she's got a wonderful section on Kazuku Shibuya, 
one of the artists from the original Final Fantasy. I don't know if you know her story or not. I do not know her story, but I feel like I need to know her story. Read the book. Yeah, and there we go. I didn't know yeah, her story either, and it's really it's really interesting hearing about how she worked at Square and like the the history about like you know how she was making art on the team and. Mary, it's a very interesting book. I really like it. Can you show um, the art again real quick? Yes, yes. The so art. the illustrations are done by uh, Celine Pereira, right? Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And there's lots of fun illustrations. Um, cool. Again, Gamer Girls, the 25 women who built the video game industry. And we will link that in the show notes down below. Mary, before we let you go, I did want to ask you just a couple more questions quickly. First, what are you playing right now? If anything, I know you're busy. <laughs> I, okay, so I finished Ragnarok, and then I had the crazy idea, as I've been semi-live tweeting, to try to get through the whole Dragon Age series again before my baby's born. Oh, it's oh before your baby's born. Okay. It's my I thought you were going to say. <laughs> my baby will be born, well, I mean, you know, in or around May 31st, and I'm still on the first one, so uh, it's not, uh, it might have been a little ambitious, but we'll okay. see. <laughs> trying to I burn thought you it. were going to say before Dreadwolf, and I was going to say that is also an ambition that I share. But then when also you said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was why it was there was like an announcement on Dreadwolf, and so I was like, oh, I'll just oh, I know what I'll do because I'm not going to have any time to play games once he's here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna get through this. Now that, that was a couple months ago, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I make it. I'll, I'll keep everyone posted. <laughs> I'm I'm like maybe I'll go back and replay Inquisition, and that's. Like that's the most of my ambitions. I could definitely could not go <laughs> go back and do do all of them. I don't don't have the mental fortitude to, to make that uh, happen. But you know what? Godspeed on your mission. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Wish me luck. I'm so much of a completionist. I'm like, why did I do this? I'm doing oh, every way. fetch quest. It's great. I <laughs> mean, um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is, as somebody who's nerdy for narrative, as we are here at What's Good Games, is there a story that you either played? read or watched recently that you're like, this story was really great and everyone should go check it out? Oh, wow. Um, that's such a good question. The most recent replay I did right before Ragnarok was I replayed Hellblade, which is just one of my favorite video game narratives ever. I love how the gameplay and the narrative work together, like seamlessly. Other big thing, sorry, I'm giving two answers. It's a long question. <laughs> Obviously, I like the rest of the universe is watching The Last of Us. And in addition to it being good, <laughs> it's a good show. The most fascinating thing for me is is the comparison, but as like someone who's played the game a lot and seen how it's translated to the show mm -hmm. and also examining my own like different relationships with characters and environments when you're not playing through it. So if you're someone interested in narrative, I think it's a really good idea. Like it's such a faithful adaptation that being able to see how narratives is delivered differently between the two is is really interesting. Like. I'm sitting there doing deep dives into like <laughs> tools and methods. And my husband's just like, I'm just watching the show. <laughs> <I just> was, <laughs> but he, he listens. It's very helpful. <laughs> I get it. I love doing that with remakes of games like Final Fantasy 7 and Resident Evil 2 Remake are the two that come to mind. But I will make yeah. pages of notes and I will write notes like at, per scene. It's just fun and fascinating to see how things adapt and change 
especially when you're translating a game over to television for the first time. So I'm so excited. I'm going to do that with Resident Evil 4 because it was my first horror game. That was my first that I like fell in love with. I'm like, oh, this, this is great. Wow, we could have made a whole podcast about this, Mary. <laughs> Guess you're going to have to come back, Mary. <laughs> oh, darn. Oh, <laughs> uh, shucks. Um, well, Brittany, do you have any further questions for Mary? I mean, about Resident Evil 4. No, um, again, it's perfect. Like, That's it. That's my answer. Okay, no, move on. Move on, Andrew. I'm good. She said all I needed to hear. There we go. You love to hear it. Well, Mary, thank you so much for giving us your time today and for chatting with us about the joys of working in the video game industry and, and what it's like to be a writer. And of course, if you guys want to check out more, you can look up her book, Gamer Girls. And Mary, where's the best place for people to follow you and kind of check out what you're up to these days? Everybody knows I'm on Twitter. I'm a chronic Twitterer. I'm also on Instagram as well. You can find me pretty easily. Um, it's Mary K News is my handles um, because I used to be in journalism. It's not because I think I'm worthy of news. That's just to be clear. <laughs> but Twitter and Instagram is is the the best place to follow me. Um, actually, like had a big announcement today, so you should all go look look right right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, what's the announcement? Don't yeah, leave us hanging. The uh, Star Wars from a certain point of view for Return of the Jedi. There are forty authors who wrote forty stories for the fortieth anniversary, and I'm one of them. Wow! Ooh. Congrats! That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Very cool. Well, we'll have all of those links for you guys in the show notes if you want a handy way to look up Mary. And thanks so much for joining us. We'll definitely be giving you a call when Resident Evil 4 comes out. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, I can fangirl live. Oh, (laughs) so much fangirling. Thank you again to Mary for being on the show. It was such a great conversation. And we'll put all of her links in the show notes down below if you want to check out her book or follow her on social media. And hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. It was another beefy one. We haven't had a long one in a while. Oh, yeah. Lots to talk about today. (laughs) What did you say earlier? Meaty? Meaty. 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 Girthy. Exactly. Meaty indeed. And next week is a special video game preview. Dun, dun, dun. Hopefully you guys come in and check it out. I think you're going to want to listen and watch it. Until then, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. 